What's up, everyone? Welcome to the very first episode of The Hum Discover 901, where today we sat down with Jessica Shea, a local business owner, entrepreneur, and mushroom enthusiast to discuss life, business ventures, and uh, just interesting things. All right, we are live today, April 12th, uh, Monday, Station 8 Productions. I am joined by Miss Jessica. Is it Jessica Shea or Frey? I'm confused. Shea. Shay, perfect. Yeah. How are you doing, Jessica? I'm doing good, thank you. Good, good. So this is uh, probably the most excited I've been about our Discover 901 series. This is a series that is targeting and focusing specifically on the entrepreneurs and innovators of Memphis, Tennessee, and you are absolutely one of those people. So to go right into it, let's talk about your businesses and what you have. We'll just start with the names. What you got going on in Memphis? Okay, so currently I have a for-profit counseling center that's called Forward Counseling. And then I have a sister not-for-profit that works with businesses instead of individuals. That's called You Can Sit With Us. And then um, in 2019, I started Memphis Mushroom Festival. So I also have that business. Exciting. Yeah, super that's exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where are you from originally before Memphis and how long have you been here? I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I've lived here my whole life. Born and raised? Yes. Really? Born and raised, yes. Interesting. Has you feel like uh, Memphis has uh, had any influence over your inspiration and things as a business owner? It's a pretty pretty interesting city. Great grind, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, Memphis is a great place to start businesses. There's tons of entrepreneurs here. We have, I think, one of the highest numbers of nonprofits in first city in the U.S. So, really, yes. I also grew up around entrepreneurs, so I've been observing business owners my whole life. Yeah. Was there, so how did you grow up around entrepreneurs? How did you meet them? How are they in your circle? So my dad actually is an entrepreneur. He had a company called Sandman Imports and um, he imported luxury things, you could say, like luxury cars. Um, he also collected antiques and just weird items, but um, he also uh, dealt in some vices. Um, and because of that, I was able to meet other entrepreneurs entrepreneurs in town. So my dad, uh, his shop, Salmon Imports, sold and worked on BMWs, Mercedes, Porsche, uh, Ferrari, Lotus, all the exotic stuff. Wow. So the people in town that own those cars were also like the mayor or the owner of pretty much every business that you see down Poplar Avenue. So these men were my father's customers. And um, I grew up in his car shop. He definitely, of my two parents, my dad did the cooler stuff. So I got to hang out in the car shop. I got to be around very intelligent men uh, and a few, and also a few entrepreneurial women. Uh, there was, he worked on Jaguars and a lot of women entrepreneurs around here drove Jaguars. So I got to meet some really cool, I got to meet a woman who dealt in gold. So oh, wow. really cool stuff. Did you get to drive the cars ever? Yes, I did get to drive the cars and I got always had cool cars like you know i bet that's awesome yeah. so speaking of, of driving in cars what were what do you feel like were the key driving forces um that gave you just the insight and self-understanding to take on the entrepreneurial pursuits of all of these businesses that you just mentioned oh well, that's a good question like um, you saw it you saw it maybe at your dad's shop and the people you mm -hmm. were working with and like where did that translate into your own life so I think actually what happened, uh, the way I was raised was pretty non-traditional for a Southern female. Um, I was raised to be able to speak my mind. I was raised to be able to use anger. I was raised to have power. I was raised to understand my sexuality. 
And um, because of those factors, I did not really fit in a lot of places in the South. So corporations and hospitals, uh, which is where you often find people like me, licensed clinical social workers, I I don't, um, I don't really fit in there. And subordination is (laughs) something I've heard throughout the years of trying to work for other people. Right. So tell me, you just mentioned some of your credentials there. Tell me your credentials and kind of why you chose to go down that path. Okay. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means I have a master's degree in social work. And then after that master's, I worked for three years under some other people to further my education. And then I passed state boards and I am a licensed clinical social worker. So what I do is clinical interventions for mental health diagnoses. So depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, adjustment disorder, trauma, things like that. I'm trained to help people resolve that. And I I like to um, even introduce the language of cure that. Uh, So many people have been misinformed about mental health diagnoses. And and they are... Why do you you think that is? Um... It's it's a very open ended, you know, uh, field and discussion. I feel like you know I'm, I'm ignorantly speaking, but it's it's a hard one to navigate. So I guess that leaves room for misunderstanding. Yeah, um, I I just think that it's a newer field. Well, it's new and ancient at the same time, I and mean, we've been studying thoughts in people's mind for thousands of years since probably hu- humans have existed. But as a formal field, it's relatively new. And because of that, the efficacy of a lot of the interventions just aren't, is not that great. Um, we're, we are finding better interventions, and we are finally um, offering training for young therapists that can cure mental illness. But coming straight out of school, you, most, most clinicians are not able to cure mental illness, even though it's possible. They just don't have the training or the skills yet. Right. So is that something that your company uh, specifically is providing to the people that you work with is understanding on these new approaches or because it sounds like maybe in school and the more broader education, you know, that spectrum, they're not maybe getting, you know, these new insights and things. So is that something you're offering with forward counseling? Yes, we uh, our mindset is we want to do the most progressive, modern, humane, effective intervention. And oftentimes that means looking at other uh, what other countries are doing or what other regions of the world are doing. It often sometimes looks we often sometimes look back in time at to what ancient literature said about these similar issues. Um, the issues that we're treating through psychology, social work, counseling are issues that humans have had since humans have been interacting with other humans. Mm-hmm. So um, it, we have to really, as a therapist, we have to really investigate and find the most effective cures for our clinicians. I mean, for our clients and as clinicians at forward, that's what we, I hope everyone's doing. That's awesome. How how do you, especially in the internet of the modern age, how do you navigate the massive seas of information and then pick out the the pieces of of progressive thinking within your industry? Like that seems so difficult. Well, it does boil back down to evidence. So you want to look at clinical trials. You want to look at what's the most effective. There is, um, There is a gap, though, because a lot of times the clinical trials will result in a research paper, but that research paper is not really consumable, consumable by the general public. And sometimes therapists, it may or may not be consumable. They may not want to sit around and read research studies. So um, what we look for is interventions that are based in research, that someone has created this intervention, researched 
done shown that it works and um, shown that it works more than the current accepted model of treatment. So are these uh, studies often peer reviewed studies? I mean, is, is there like a specific resource or is there just like some people that you follow in the field, like to find these things? There are peer reviewed. Um, there are different journals that you can look for. Um, so yes, they're peer reviewed articles. Okay. The National Institute of Mental Health also is a great resource. There's there's websites that you can go to to find these articles. They're just a little dry. I got you. I got you. <laughs> it seems like a lot of dense information, especially all the yeah. studies and everything, to really figure out. Um, you know, look at the data and figure out. All right, what's pract- what's what's the practical application of all this information? And that's kind of what you're navigating, I guess, with forward counseling. Yes, absolutely. How do, so? Going back to you, you mentioned I guess three businesses mm-hmm. um, in total. Where did you get the name? Um, also, this is some high mountain oolong Chinese tea. Oh, thanks. It's good for you. I don't know if that's your thing. I poured you some. I'm happy to get you some water too, if you prefer. No, I love tea. Thank you. Good. Um, okay. So forward counseling, if you're talking about that one, that one was named, um, a close friend of mine when I, when I was going to create the company, I did, went through branding. So I did a vision board and a start with why and core values and all that stuff. But the name I couldn't quite figure out. So I asked my close friends, like, what what would you, if you could describe me, like, my style, like, what would it be? And they were like, forward. <laughs> Pretty forward. That's it. So that's how I got that name. Uh, there, are, th- there are many worse things that you could be <laughs> described as being. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and then you can sit with us. So as a business owner, owning forward, I realized it was super lonely. And then I would meet with other business owners, and they told me the same thing. It's super lonely. You're you're working nonstop. You're having to learn 50 things in a day. No one can relate. And also people who work there are intimidated by you. So they don't want to have lunch with you. They don't want to hang out with you. So um, I, I named it You Can Sit With Us because that company is really for business owners. And a lot of what they're seeking is like someone to help them with this stuff because they're the top at their work. They're the top of the, the chain, but there's still issues and they, they don't know who to go to and who to ask. So we've created a team of consultants that can pretty much help business owners figure out any pain point, any issue they're having. And how long is that business since 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm not mistaken in, in saying that you're taking that business and kind of, you know, taking that to the next level, right? Maybe doing some more with it. What do you have yeah. planned? Well, we've been working with um, customers through there for about the past three years, three, four years. Uh, a real small level. Um, maybe we, I have one or two business clients a week. But we're hoping to step that up to work with maybe 60 to 90 business clients in a year. Um, this coming, this year, we want to work with 60 to 90. I love the calm look <laughs> and ambition on your face as you casually mentioned, you know, upping it by six, 60,000%, 6,000%, whatever. You're always, you're, you're, you're ready to go and do it. That's yes. awesome. Do you have um, something that you've been doing? Um, this is, really applies to all businesses, but, you know, to, to get those people in. To, to generate the, that clientele and work with those businesses? Because I think you're right. There's a lot of businesses I think that would benefit from just the, the fellowship and insight something like that could provide. Yes, I have the super geeky hobby of talking to people on LinkedIn. Um, okay. <laughs> I really like LinkedIn. It's my favorite social media. Besides, well, TikTok and LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn Uh-oh. is less <laughs> emotional. There's less drama. And, I, and also, there's not... Um, people know it's about business usually like you know you're not it's not you're not trying to find buddies you're usually trying to find 
business connections, networking. So I talk to people on LinkedIn on the weekends and a lot of them are strangers at first, but I, you know, they have, they do a cool thing or they're doing a thing. They went to a conference that I think looks cool. And so LinkedIn is where I meet most of my business clients. I also have about 15,000 followers on LinkedIn. So that helps too. Mm, Of course. And I post, you know, things about life and people can relate and then they reach out. Do you feel... I'm just curious, like, you know, a lot of people use Facebook and Instagram because they like the, you know, they like that interaction. Do you get kind of like uh, relief in a way when you use LinkedIn and put yourself out there professionally? Is that something that you enjoy doing or is it something that's more of an obligation based to, you know, based on building the business? I like LinkedIn a lot better because um, for someone like me, I'm really into like facts and the way things work, but sometimes social nuances I can't pick up on through just messages. And mm-hmm. limiting things to LinkedIn is like a gatekeeping method. It's, people just don't cross boundaries. Like I, they mm-hmm. don't tell me their, you know, personal private life story on LinkedIn. Usually, it Facebook they do. You right, know, the like, context just matters mm-hmm, a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, or there's also it's really vague. I find it really vague with um, romance. Like, people will message you on social media, and I'll be like, oh, they're being nice. They just want to go to the gym. And then, like, you're accidentally on a date at the gym. Like, <laughs> that's happened to me. And I was gosh. like, oh, my gosh. I thought you just wanted to work out with me. But it was Facebook, so I should have known. You yeah. know. Yeah. But LinkedIn, it's, pr- you know, you don't really have those. I don't, at least. Yeah. It stays pretty professional. Over yeah. There. Well, fair enough. You, well, you mentioned it briefly a minute ago, but how many how many hours do you work in a week between all these businesses? It seems like a lot to handle, and you know, I know you schedule out pretty pretty far. Yes, I do. Um, I use my time efficiently. I've been using a planner since eighth grade, and uh, when you schedule every hour, you can get a lot accomplished. I sleep eight hours a night. I exercise. I do all the normal healthy things, but every hour of my day is completely scheduled. Probably from um, probably about ten hours a day is scheduled. Wow, every day, mm-hmm. even your off days, or do you have off days? Um, I do take off days camping, usually because of lack of Wi-Fi or being in nature, foraging things like that. Uh, but I really feel blessed and lucky and passionate about life, so I'm not the kind of person that just feels good about sitting around or just doing nothing. Have you always felt the way that you just described or was it a journey to get there? Um, Have you always been kind of high on life? I've always been highly responsible, I think, but, um, <laughs> nuanced answer talking about social nuance. <laughs> yeah. How highly responsible, but I think as an older adult, less depressed. And what, what do you yeah. think? What do you think kind of brought that about? I mean, you know, it's hard to kind of, shed some depression. I mean, younger years, it's almost implied, you know, I mean, it's just going to happen as you figure yourself out and figure life out. And I think everybody has a struggle with it to some degree, but what do you think was like the biggest shift in your adult life that kind of gave you that, that peace of mind? A lot of people don't have that much less, you know, an entrepreneur that has three businesses and is highly successful. Um, that's a good question. Okay, ask me that question again. So I guess like your self-understanding and like the, the, mm-hmm. the peace that you have within yourself, um, you know, obviously when you're younger, it's easier to struggle with those things because you just don't have as much clarity on who you are. Um, but, you know, now that you are full-fledged adult, you've been living your adult life, you've opened these businesses, was it like, where, what, what point did you kind of get that peace of mind versus like the struggles of childhood? Like, where is the transition? Okay, so... 
the the closest thing I can compare it to would be like roller skating, surfing, skateboarding. There's all there's always a point where you're on the edge, and that's how I like it. But I guess self acceptance and the more oh shit, what am I gonna do? Switch to like okay, I got this. Probably in my forties, and I would say that the process that I got thereby was grief. Hmm. So through super bad heartbreaks, um, I think grief allowed me to feel comfortable alone. And you have to feel comfortable alone to grow to the next part of self-love. Mm-hmm. So that path. So pain. You find mm-hmm. strength in the experience of pain. Yes. You, know? you can. You should, right? Yeah. Stuff, um, grief in particular. Okay. I don't know. You know, some people experience pain because they're victims of abuse or they may be experiencing pain because of their environment. I, I don't encourage people to stay in an abusive or harmful environment for personal growth. Um, so I do want to make that distinction. But personally, I have found um, the most uh, post-traumatic growthy times were from grief, mm-hmm. deep grief. Do you, th- do you think um, challenging yourself was uh, maybe a way of dealing with that grief, like taking on, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits or a certain goals and just finding, like seeing that, having that ambition and then making it come to life? Was that a part of it? Yes, absolutely. I call it sublimation. Uh, that's a word. That's an interesting word. Tell yeah. me about that. Well, sublimation, it's, it's, a, it's used in a lot of different ways. It's actually a high-level defense mechanism. Uh, it's also... They use it at the chiropractor about pain. I don't really know how that works, but I've heard it used in different contexts, but it basically means transforming something into something else. So if I have anger, anxiety, grief, you can funnel that into something productive. Mm-hmm. Um, or unproductive, right? Yeah, or unproductive. <laughs> right? Um, but definitely the uh, the process of sitting with grief and feeling grief, I think, is um, is priceless. Priceless. I don't, I don't know how people can grow other than that way. Do you think it's true that a lot of people that have these experiences, whether they're you know forced or not, you know, to, to just kind of su- suppress it and sweep it under the rug, and then continue to try to live their lives, and then they it sneaks back up on them in ways that they're not even maybe fully conscious of. Yeah, so the price you pay for living that life is you you numb out a lot. Mm. So you can sweep things under the rug. You can totally do that. You can avoid grief, sadness, anger. You can sweep it all under. But you also don't get to experience the deep joy. So it's, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's worth the trade-off. Yeah, it's like you can only be as high as you have been low in a way. Yeah. Can't understand darkness without light. Right. That's fair enough. So all of these things, um, I'm imagining just the name of your company is alone. I'm imagining that there's a pretty distinct and specific culture mm-hmm. to the companies that you have. How did, how did you, you know, determine what your culture would be? And then more importantly, cause I would like to know, how did you establish it? How did you get so many people on, on, on board with your culture? Okay. Well, um, little Wayne has a, a quote and his quote is the haters made me famous. <laughs> okay. So I will preface this all by saying you have to be prepared to attract your tribe, you have to be prepared to piss off your non-tribe. So that's step one, um, is a commitment to being who you are. And when you put who you are out there, 
uh, you will attract other people who are similar to you, have similar values. The models I use are Simon Sanek's and Seth Godin's. Uh, both of those guys are known in the marketing world, and they've got theories about the uh, businesses and the way businesses run and the way they should attract clients and sales funnels and all that. And their models are based on a value-based model. So what that means is I don't care what the universe needs right now. I'm not, I'm not going out and assessing what they need. What I'm assessing is who am I mm-hmm. and what have I got to give? And so it's a little bit different of a, a way of thinking of your business. So when I, I, I knew I was going to be a counselor and I knew I was going to provide counseling, but when I went around to creating the company, what I started with was a vision board. And that's like a collage of magazine pictures that I cut out. And where'd you get this idea? The vision board? The vision board actually is an art therapy technique that I learned okay. from my art therapy supervisor. You can use okay. it. It's used a lot through um, different types of therapy if you use art therapy. Okay, great. So I didn't mean to interrupt. Yep. Sorry, I was no. just curious because I actually wrote that down. I was curious on, on how yeah. I did it. Vision boards, I do that with so many of my clients. They're amazing. So you started your culture. You were mm-hmm. putting together your vision board. Put the vision board, identify the core values of the company. And then from that, identified ways that we were going to honor those values. So what were we going to do different? How are we going to be different from the current status quo of counseling centers in Memphis, Tennessee? Okay. So I'm gonna, I want to rewind just a little bit one more mm-hmm. time because you mentioned uh, the, the, the counseling that you're involved in. Um, you, know, you said specifically, I think it was like traumas and people that have been through you know, things that maybe were forced upon them. Um, is like, maybe you can remind me what all you cover in your line of counseling, but also like, how did you choose that? Because counseling is a broad one. Yeah, it totally is. So I actually, uh, counseling chose me, I guess you would say. As a teenager growing up, I was an artist. I was really artsy. Everyone figured I'd probably be an interior decorator or something along those lines. Um, And my teenage years were very rocky. I actually had uh, a lot of difficult difficulty in school, had difficulty with grades and learning. I also had difficulty with um, compliance with rules, I guess you would say, Uh, behavior issues, learning issues. Um, I had substance issues in high school. I had attending school issues in high school. I also got pregnant in high school. So, High school was quite difficult, and um, that's a hold on. So that was a lot of life. <laughs> yeah, that you just life. that you just said in like a couple of sentences. Those yeah. are huge experiences that not everyone goes through, and those are those are probably pretty difficult ones. Yes, uh, my family also experienced a period of homelessness when I was in high school. Wow. So, yeah, my teenage years were that I wasn't the kind of kid that anyone thought like graduate school was an option for Mm -hmm. definitely not so the career paths I was being pushed to were like you know maybe you can work at a child care center or maybe you can be like an artist Uh, and actually I had started doing landscaping so as a teenager um, I guess I was about 18 I started working at a landscaping company and then by 19 or 20 I had started a landscaping business (laughs) so that's how I started out. I had no idea. That was the first one? Yeah, that was the first business. I had no idea I was even intelligent. But my daughter's pediatrician, uh, I was taking my daughter in for her vaccinations or something. She's like one or two. Her pediatrician thought I had postpartum depression. He's, he noticed something was off, and he hmm. said, you know, like, you might want to get this checked out. You know, I think you might be depressed. And he referred me to a therapist, uh, a counselor named Neil Anderson. And I went there, and Neil Anderson diagnosed me with PTSD, hmm. which was completely shocking to me because I knew I had had a stressful life, but 
I mean, I don't know. You were know. just in it every day. Yeah. So it didn't, it, it wasn't was like a conscious. Yeah. 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 So I was like, what do you mean? This isn't normal. Yeah. And also, um, even though you hear things, you hear things on TV, like you hear drug abuse, you hear domestic violence, you hear these terms, but it's really hard to take the leap and to be like, oh, wow, this is happening at my house. Mm-hmm. It, that's a hard, we have a, a whole host of defense mechanisms that keep us safe from our own brain. And it keeps us from acknowledging what's going on sometimes. So my, I, I kind of just lived in a disassociated state and that's what the pediatrician noticed. So he sent me to counseling. I had 10 care. I was a waitress. I, had, I was working on some children's books at the time. So I was doing some art. Um, and I worked with this counselor for years, many years. This counselor did EMDR therapy with me. He did substance abuse counseling with me. He did all sorts of things. And after we were done, I asked him, you know, how do I become this? I want to do this for others. And he told me, got to go to grad school got to take the GRE, uh, very intimidating because I took seven years to graduate undergrad and I started undergrad in community college cause I couldn't get into undergrad college. So that was a rocky road. I didn't think I would get in, but I did and I did great. And, um, so I just went to school with the knowledge that I was going to open my own practice and do for other people what Neil had done for me. Wow. That's crazy to, to flip the switch, especially mm-hmm. I mean, how did, how did you kind of shift your, what's the way to say it? Like, how did you, uh, like denormalize those things that were causing so much in your life as, as a young person, as you were making this transition and opening up businesses? Okay. Ask me that again. Like, how did you like, do you, you know, all the things that you were talking about experiencing mm-hmm. in high school and then, you know, first landscaping and onward, like, how did you denormalize the things that were maybe stressful? in your life that you were experiencing? Like, was there a point in time in your life where you're like, all right, I'm leaving that behind me and I'm going to make a new life with these rules. That's going to be on my principles because I know who I am now. Like, did you have to go to the bottom to find it or was it something, you know, that became clear? Um, so actually having a child helped a ton with that. I would not say that. So I did make rules. Like I'm no longer going to do this. I'm no longer going to do that. But it Mm -hmm. was more because it was because I didn't, I cared what my daughter thought. So I did make mm. decisions. Like I will no longer do cocaine. I will no longer do sex work. I will no longer um, be with abusive men. You know, these were all things that were normalized for me in my childhood that were um, things that I had to decide against in adulthood because it was what's, what was best for me. Mm-hmm. It did not feel normal to make those decisions though. Well, that's a tremendous strength. I'm glad mm-hmm. that Neil was there to, to help. And, you know, yeah. you were able to do that work yourself. That's, that's a lot yep. to, to break through. How, how else did, uh, did, did has, has your entrepreneurship, how has that affected family, your relationship with your family, even from, from then until today? Um, I think our family is not unlike a lot of families. We have been through a lot. We have had a lot of struggles, but uh, our family is still close. We still get together. Um, My father has changed a lot over the years. Mm -hmm. So um, we we have all been a benefit. We've all benefited from counseling and from personal growth and from miracles uh and and we can be a great healthy family now my brother and i live about two miles from each other and wow that's cool yep so we get together family gets together a lot 
and it's great. That's awesome. Yep. So going back to business, how do you uh, how do you generate new ideas? Like you know, on the on the day to day or in the past, like where did the ideas come from? So I believe in the value based model. So the ideas typically come from core values. Um, that's for myself or clients I work with. What I really help people understand is who they are is awesome, and there are other people who will buy whatever it is you do. You just got to figure out what it is you want to do. And so when I start something new, it's usually based out of a deep value I have and wanting to share that with others. Mm-hmm. Um, the value of nature or being able to have your own business or the value of mental health and uh, resilience, growth. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the second time you've mentioned nature. So that's obviously yeah. an important escape for you. Yes. Yeah. So do you, you said camping, is that something that you do pretty often to kind of blow off the steam and get away from work because people can't find you? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, On any given day, I get about 300 calls and texts. So camping, uh, there are places without Wi-Fi and those are American campsites. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's some around here that I love going to. My partner and I go hiking and foraging. Uh, We bicycle downtown. Yes. Getting outside, unplugging getting in nature. Absolutely. That's awesome. So this, I got a question for you and it's a little bit of a heavier one. So what is your greatest fear and how do you manage fear in general? Because that's something that every person has to handle to some level, but a person that might want to understand your success and how to, you know, bring a piece of that into their own lives. I think understanding fear is a big piece of that. So what is your relationship like that? And what is the big fear for you? So my biggest fear used to be dying alone, Um, Mm. but the way you get over any fear, here's a life hack for you, is you sit with the feeling of the fear of the thing, and you realize it's not going to kill you, and you observe that feeling, and then you realize you're not the feeling, you're the observer of the feeling, and there's this immense relief, right? So... That that's the way I deal with fear. Um, facing it, in other words. Yeah, facing it, sitting is, with is it, it. Is it like just Pavlov style, just the process of extinction? <laughs> like you, you just you put yourself in a situation, you expect an outcome, and it doesn't come, and then you're calmed. Yeah. So actually, Pavlov. What you can do with Pavlov is in a fearful situation is train your brain with something pleasure, pleasurable. Hmm. So you mentioned that uh, if there's something like looking at the my company banks online thing used to give me anxiety you know logging in (laughs) yeah right um especially when we were growing so i was like please don't let it be negative please don't let it be negative uh so i would start to drink hot tea that smelled and tasted good while opening the the Mm, bank so you create a positive with it so the other way to get over fear first is to identify it which is tricky for a lot of people because they don't even know what they're afraid of they Mm -hmm. just have anxiety so the thing you wake up at 3 a.m about that's what you're afraid of so my fear now is um, dying before I get everything done. Oh, okay. So, but death is a common fear. And a lot of times when you get past initial fears, like, what are you afraid of? I was afraid of being broke. I was afraid of um, being dying alone. You know, when you work through those, the ultimate fear is death. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what everyone lands at once you start working through the small fears. So that's normal. And um, I think that's something that everyone deals with at some point in their life is death anxiety but it helps to to face that you will die helps you live more fully so yeah. hmm. so i know a big part of what you've said so far is that a lot of your business and culture and ideas and everything comes from your values and your mm-hmm. ideals and your and your principles is there 
like two or three that would stick out? No, you know, if not, that's okay. But is there like something that like jumps out to you right away when you think of, you know, what are my values? Like what defines me? Yeah, um, definitely. So do you want to know about my personal values or like the business values? They got to be correlated in some way, right? Yeah. Is there, okay. Are. Let's, let's just do both then. Let's just, okay. let's start with you. So per, my personal values, uh, are hard work, um, responsibility, helping others, giving back, having fun, being non-judgmental, being open-minded, being effective, things like that, doing mm-hmm. a good job. Um, uh, I have a slogan, take your work seriously, but not yourself. You know, whatever you're doing at like work, that. especially, you know, if we're, if we're a mental health client, if we're, if we're a mental health therapist, we should be doing everything in, in our power to leaving our mental health clients better than we found them. Hmm. So I take that very seriously. And so forward counseling is built on those principles is we're going to do good work. We're going to work hard. We're going to be responsible and effective, but we're also going to have fun and we're going to support each other and we're not going to, and we're going to pay ourselves. We're not going to go broke doing this. Right. So, um, that it's been great. And we, our website is different. Everyone's like, whoa, this place is so laid back and so diverse. And, um, you know, we, it's interesting when a new therapist comes to work, they'll text me, they'll be like, Hey, do you mind if I dye my hair orange? I'm like, I don't care. Like your employer (laughs) cared about that. Like don't sleep with your clients, but dye your hair, whatever color you want. I don't give a shit. True advice. Right. Like, or, um, you know, it's uncommon in the South though. I mean, it's not, I mean, I've been fortunate to work for companies where I have been able mm -hmm. to, if I want a long hair or beard or tattoos, piercings, whatever, I have been fortunate, but there's in the South, very rarely that opportunity um, to be able to have that level of expression, especially in a professional field that involves, you know, counseling, which I think is amazing because that is the true sense of who people are and how can someone help you if you don't have that understanding about the person that you're talking to. Right. Yeah. So um, is that kind of, is that the, what you help as far in, ter- in terms of values for the business is helping people better express and understand or just be themselves. Is that a big part of the value system? Yep. It's a big part. When I work with clients through, you can sit with us helping that client identify their company values mm-hmm. and then working a plan to express that first of all, right. and then to start attracting people with those same values. That's awesome. And being willing to let go of people who don't fit in that value system. That's too. hard. Yeah. Cause a lot of times you do want to help people. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, so in all that, how would you define success? Is it money? Is it, you know, helping people like how, and how do you, you know, what, what is success at the end of the day for you? Um, success at the end of the day for me is when you're dead, people actually miss you. Hmm. So the that, ripple effect. Yeah. That would be my definition of success. Um, are you successful yeah. so far? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I love it. Yeah. So it, becoming, I don't know. I feel like you've, you've overcome a lot of obstacles and, and now you're doing so great as, as a business owner in Memphis. Do you feel there's a pattern or, um, you know, some, some things that you have to do in order to be a successful entrepreneur or do you um, think it's different for each business and each person? Cause especially working with all the businesses, I'm sure you have some good insights. Yeah. I've worked with lots of different types of businesses, but the one thing that I will say uh, for entrepreneurs is the entrepreneurs who are successful are willing to do whatever it takes and willing to learn whatever they need to learn to get the job done. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. And, And that can be done in different ways. I have clients who come in and they have raised 
you know, maybe $3 million for their company. So they, they're starting with money to pay people. They don't have to know how to do everything. But then I have other people who come to me that have saved $20,000 and they're going to start a business. They've got to learn five jobs just to get that business off the ground. Right. So it does take resources and uh, it takes way more resources than anyone ever expects. Mm -hmm. And it also takes hard work. And right now I've noticed there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of memes and, a lot of stuff going around like if you if you can't depend on others it's because you've been traumatized or if you overwork it's because you've been traumatized it women we get caught in this you know it's like if we don't work we're blamed and shamed if we do work we're blamed and shamed so um to step outside of that oh shit i forgot what i'll say no, no, it's okay. So I love, I love what you're going, uh, what, you're, what direction you're headed, because you, um, you know, in the South, as a woman, as a business owner, you've broken a lot of taboos yeah. and things in, in the South. Mm-hmm. And I think you were talking about how. Oh, uh, what it takes. Yeah, what it takes. Yeah, to be because, yeah, yeah. I mean. You just got to, it takes way more than anyone expects, and you have to be willing to do hard things on a daily basis. So where did you, your initial resources to get uh, yourself off the ground, where did you pull those from? So I've actually been doing entrepreneurial things since a teenager. Mm-hmm. I bought my first house at 19, renovated it, flipped it, um, had a landscaping business. I've had ways to generate money since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I've I've had been able to acquire properties. And I also have been able to acquire significant cash pools of money. I call them emergency funds. Mm-hmm. I also have played the stock market since 19 or 20. So um, I have multiple revenue streams at all times, mm-hmm. and that was the first. I guess that's the foundation. When I started my business, I had about fifty thousand dollars in the bank cash. Mm-hmm. I had um, cash flow. I had rental property that was providing me income to live on. I didn't pay myself. I usually don't pay myself for my companies for years when I start them. Mm-hmm. I let that money go back into the company. So I have other ways that I pay myself. Also. Um, I was married previously. I'm divorced now. I was divorced in 2015. But when I started my business, I was married. And I was fortunate that my partner paid the bills while all of my money from my work went back into the business. Mm -hmm. So that really helped, too. Uh, Having that. Now, in the past, I didn't have that. And I was still able to start businesses. So it's not a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. But it did help. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is, like, do you feel like you would have been able to attain your success without those revenue streams and without those things. I'm thinking of more of like the people that might be listening to this that are, you know, maybe haven't had the opportunities to put in the work and, and do those things and they're now finding themselves in a place themselves in a place to, would it have happened if you didn't have all those revenue streams? No. Because um, the people who, and I have clients who come to me and I have a little checklist that people have to, before I'll agree to work with them because those clients are unrealistic. Those clients think, oh, it's going to be easy. I want to do this, and and I'll just wing it. I'll figure it out. So I, I don't it's, – it's really full of frustration with those kind of clients because if you don't have – if you don't have a, some money, if you don't have some cash flow, mm-hmm. if you don't have a way to eat, it's going to be real difficult to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Real difficult. Yeah. Hmm. It seems like the biggest hurdle then for anyone that mm-hmm. has the interest is figuring out how to, how to at least make it through. What would you say? Like the first two years, the first three years? I would say it depends on the industry sure. and there are, 
I don't know where you'd look for it. I think Sherm or something. There are kind of industry standards of uh, break-even points. And I would say it depends on the industry. Mm-hmm. Ours is, in counseling, it's a little longer. We have, for, for a number of reasons. But I would say a person needs to have enough funds for them and for six months to pay all their bills, mm-hmm. everything, six months, and then probably about $50,000 outside of that to go towards the business. Yeah. And be willing to learn everything that they don't know how to do so they don't have to pay someone to do it. Yeah, that's a big piece, mm-hmm. saving the labor and doing the labor. But then, yep. yeah, that's a, that's that's where being an entrepreneur, that's where it separates because it becomes your life in a lot of ways. Yep. got to focus on it full-fledged. But, okay, so a couple more questions about you, then I want to dig more into your, into your businesses and what you have going on. Um, but what is, what has been so far your most like satisfying moment in business? It's probably a tough one to think of all the type of your heads. I'm sure you've had many tons. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little petty sometimes. So, <laughs> um, I, I had a marriage, um, that I had uh, evolved out of and my partner did not say at times the nicest things to me. And uh, there were things said to me about my finances. Without him, I may not, I would be poor or I may not make it or things like that. So uh, a few years ago, my CPA accidentally sent my corporate tax return to my ex-husband's house. And that to me was like <laughs> so amazing. And and he sent it to me, but I was like, oh, You saw it. I know <laughs> he peeped and I hope he did. So um that to me has been my greatest like yes. Um and I also my mother in law who encouraged me, you know, I, I reached out to her during my marriage, like, what am I gonna do here? What what do you want me to do with this situation? And she said, You need to start a business. It's like you mm-hmm. just which I already was working on anyway, but she gave me the permission. So every once in a while, I'll check in with her and be like, hey, guess what? We hired five new people this month or, you know, whatever. Give her some update uh, just to let her know. Thank you. I appreciate, you know, her encouragement. Hmm, that's awesome. Well, that's good mm-hmm. to be able to be, you know, respectful too in the same in the yeah. same situation. So, so and, and what would you say would be your favorite thing about owning your businesses and being an entrepreneur? Just like personally. So my favorite thing about owning a business is being able to be disruptive in the industry which I'm in, which is counseling, psychology. Uh, That's my favorite thing because I have the power Mm -hmm. to change things. We can make the rules the way we want it, and we can do things different. And that's my favorite. It's funny. When I I was talking to you in one of our first conversations, you said that there was kind of like a moment where you realized – like, wait a minute, now people here are coming to me and asking, you know, my insights and my opinions and like what I think. And you realize like, all right, like I've, I've done, I've kind of arrived at a point where I can now do exactly what you just described, which is help shape the industry and give feedback. And you become a powerful force in counseling, which in the South, wow, <laughs> incredibly mm-hmm. important and very valuable. So that's, that's very impressive. Um, what, what do you think? So I want to go more into like the business side and, 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 Personal things can come and go, of course, but the intention of forward counseling, like what are you aiming to bring to Memphis? You know, the people that are listening to this, they're hearing about local businesses in Memphis and obviously you're a little bit bigger than Memphis, right? Yes. We so, have locations across Tennessee right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you, what do you, what are you trying to bring? Like what is forward counseling trying to bring, trying to bring to Tennessee? 
So we're bringing a fresh breath, a breath of fresh air, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. We're, we're bringing um, progressive interventions that are not done in a non-judgmental way. And that's really, I think, w- where we are different. Uh, when someone comes, when someone goes into traditional therapy, oftentimes they come in and they are told they have more issues than they even thought they did. Mm-hmm. Or they're blamed for their problems, you know. I grew up in a time where when a woman went to therapy, that she was often told she was codependent. You know, she, she's probably the victim of abuse, but yet this therapist is telling her, it's her she's codependent. She's the one that needs to change. So, th- you know, therapy has earned a bad rap with good reason. Um, we haven't always... Do you think, like, maybe there is just... Like, I think of a lawyer and they're writing contracts and they have a template. And they're like, all right, this is this kind of contract. I'm just going to print it out and fill in the blanks. Do you think the same kind of principle applied maybe to counseling and someone would come in and show X, Y, and Z and be like, oh, that's one of these and then kind of check the box and move on? Would it be fair to say something like that? Because I I share a skepticism of of counseling in in the past, you know, especially just because of what you said. There's a bit of a stigma and it seemed just like disingenuous in a way maybe and just kind of like textbook. I don't want to feel like someone's analyzing me on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You know, which that's reality to it, but there's a way of maybe not doing it that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's super vulnerable to go to therapy. Definitely. You know, mm-hmm. it's a super vulnerable situation. And when someone does come into therapy and lets their guard down, the last thing they need to they the last thing they need to have done is that part of them pathologized. Mm-hmm. And that I think is what has happened to some people in the past. Um and I'm really glad we're outgrowing that stuff. Uh, you see in the addiction world a lot of shame-based interventions in the past. Uh, I don't even want to get into the whole sex addiction field. It's all based in shame and judgment and what's, you know, anyway. So we're coming out of that. And so in my place, what we do different is, first of all, it's just the progressive open-minded attitude when you walk. You know, that, that's sure. the first thing. And When you see the counselor with orange mm-hmm. hair, you're like, yeah. okay, right, guards down a little bit. Yeah, and we can be authentic. And I also try to hire counselors who have been in counseling, who are in counseling, who have had personal struggles, because to me, that person is a lot more relatable mm-hmm. than um, someone who has, you know, maybe someone who for several generations, their family, they're all professionals and everything's been very safe and everything has been very perfect and not perfect, but a little more cookie cutter. Right. Um, those Therapists, I'm sure they're great for certain clients, but uh, we prefer hiring people that have a little more life experience, mm-hmm. um, people in recovery from addiction, people who have had their own struggles. And we are more open about it with each other and with clients. Like, hey, we've all had struggles too. And yeah. I think that's different. I agree completely in all mm-hmm. industries, but to, to in yours, that's so incredibly important. I mean, to have that vulnerability in the person that you're talking to, that's hard to walk into somebody, you know, into an office with somebody that you've never known and just be that open and vulnerable. So to put that type of person in front of people um, is is incredible. That's very, very important. I didn't, I didn't think about it in that way, but that makes a lot of sense to have mm-hmm. someone that way. So how did you, when forward counseling was conceptualized how did you get the word out and actually connect people with your counselors and did you have like some initial counselors that you worked with or what was the process so i just i bootstrapped the company i started small just me from my house doing in-home therapy i would go to other people's home then when i started getting revenue that way i rented an office and started growing um 
the way I, I started with marketing. I mean, our, my mm-hmm. company had a $600 a month marketing budget before I had revenue. So my, right. I had a day job. I was working as a therapist at a day job that I had a great salary from. So I was using part of that money to pay for the marketing for this new company. Mm-hmm. So we started out, you know, day one with a marketing budget, with a marketing consultant, with um, a marketing plan, you know, and then we've grown since. Um, I think at this point I own about 100,000 email addresses. That's incredible. Yeah. What, what, what do you think in the marketing plan of all of it, like what was the most effective? That seems like a very interesting thing to market in the South. Yeah, so we actually marketed... Um, I have this really interesting relationship with data. I love data. And I checked out every audiobook in the business science collection at the public library also prior to opening this company. So the marketing information was super interesting to me. And I kind of liked the guerrilla marketing style tactics. Like we just thought totally outside the box. Uh, We would go put boxes, I mean, um, fish bowls of condoms in women's (laughs) restrooms. with business cards in it. We would go to every bar in town and leave business cards like, hey, the chick that's crying over a boyfriend, give us a card. We would go to veterinary offices, school counselors. I mean, we just hit the ground, I guess you could say. And then also back then, I think we might've had radio ads. I don't know. Social media ads. We started started early with social media, Facebook, you know, creating a Facebook page and all that. What year was Ford Counseling? conceived it was conceived in 2012 and we started uh we actually like incorporated in 2013 okay so wow Mm -hmm. that's a that's a good good run already then yeah that's awesome and it's consistently grown each year yeah yeah we've grown at least 100 percent each year so no big deal 100 percent growth each year yep (laughs) that's awesome so speaking of growth how far do you look to expand the company are you wanting i mean you said you're in tennessee right now are you planning on taking it further Yes, we are. Um, because of our license, we kind of need to go by state by state. It makes it easier. But sure. yes, we're going to go across Tennessee and then have more locations outside of Tennessee. My goal right now is 200 total locations. I figure if Fantastic Sam's and Window World can do it, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So how, I guess, do you think your company, I've always wondered this about businesses that start small and then grow. Do you think your company can maintain the culture and the progressiveness mindset as you continue to spread state by state? Like, well, I guess is the ultimate goal to be all over the country. And like in that process, as you do grow from Tennessee, like can you maintain the culture and the progressiveness of the company when other people are running it? Yes. Uh, that's been really important to us. And so we will not hire someone. We will have an empty office before we hire the wrong hire. Um, that's been our growth plan since we started. We've opened offices in small towns in Tennessee that we we didn't have a full staff at first. I mean, mm-hmm. it took a while because our values are not everyone's values. Right. And so, um, but the commitment to the values is number one. So how do you determine when someone comes in and they want to work for you? How do you determine if they fit the mold? So we have a, we have a process. We have like an email campaign. We do have you know, a funnel, I guess you'd say we have, uh, ads on indeed. We have, we sometimes do Facebook ads. So we put out message pet messaging that attracts certain type of people. And then through the interview process, we ask, we do value-based, um, questions. We find out, you know, the perspective they counsel from, we find out how they would handle situations. We find out, um, personal values, things like that. Okay. So, that's cool. Okay. Now, 
this last year has been interesting for all businesses, but has coronavirus and everything that's happened, uh, did you have to like shift or adapt the business at all? Oh, we had to pivot in about 15 different directions, <laughs> like okay. most businesses. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, all businesses should be pre prepared to pivot at any time. So yeah, we went real lean on the finances because we didn't know how it was going to go. So yeah, we went real lean, um, dropped back on some uh, advertising, I believe. So do you Cut have out. resources that you, you said every business should be ready to pivot. Mm -hmm. Did you have resources set aside for the business in the event of a global pandemic? No, I'm just kidding. But of, in the event of anything major that causes a huge pivot, were yes. you prepared? Okay. Yes. Yes. We, my business, uh, which I recommend for any business has already been approved for credit. I mean, we mm -hmm. keep a certain amount in the bank, which you should do, but we also have lines of credit that we can use for anything at any time. And that's been approved for years. We've had that ongoing uh, credit cards. If you have a corporate credit card, you can do that. Or you can do that through a bank. So yes, we do always have that. But with us, it was really a technology pivot. And I think that's what a lot of corporations dealt with this past year is they hmm. really had to pivot with the technology to be able to do online, right? Uh, which we did. And it was interesting, but we managed. Interesting in a way that it was just something that you had to do. So you figured it out or interesting in a way that like now you can see taking the business in a different direction because of what you gained from it. Well, we already were offering teletherapy, but now it is, we have a whole dedicated marketing plan for that and everything. So it has, okay. it has, um, I guess, increased our lines of service. What, what percentage of your business roughly would you say is done that way? Well, prior to the pandemic, teletherapy was maybe 5%, mm -hmm. very small percentage. Now I would say it's probably, well, at one point it was the majority of our business. Um, now it's tapering back off, I'd say maybe 30, 40%. Okay. Are people yeah. wanting to come back in for the more personal yes. conversations? And mm -hmm. People are wanting to come back in, but there's also people who prefer the teletherapy method. So hmm. And the same with staff. Some staff want to come back in office. Some staff don't. So it's just um, everyone's sort of in transition, trying to figure out how. Yeah, to I guess resettle. we're still in the middle of it, yeah. more or less. Yeah, as we yeah. as we navigate. Maybe this year will provide some clarity for us all. Yeah. What a maybe. strange time. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, what's it like to manage fellow counselors and help one another and keep the environment positive? I know it can be weird because. Obviously, you you do therapy as well, right? You're not just the the owner; you're, you're yeah. involved. So, what is it like to do it, but also, you know, have counselors that you manage? Yeah, it's super tricky. So, I I actually have um, joked that running a landscaping company was so much easier than running a therapy company because when you're dealing with highly educated people, they have so many more questions about everything. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. But, um, and I think that, I, I think that is true. Like in, in other industries too, when you're dealing with, with people who are more cerebral, they think all day. And so, you know what, you get five emails a day from those thoughts. Sure. Um, so it's, it's been interesting this past year, we've all had to support each other. We've had basically forward counseling homeschool. We've had children, you know, therapist children up at school, up mm. at work, going to homeschool. We've had interns had to pitch in to help with homeschool. It's just been, sounds like a really nice family is what yeah, it sounds like, yeah, <laughs> which is a great thing to be compared to. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was like, we'll freaking figure it out. Just bring them, bring your kids. I don't know. Bring them, <laughs> bring your husband. I don't know. Bring, it's fine. <laughs> Whoever needs to. Right. Yeah. So where do you make the time and space to 
take care of yourself when you spend so much time caring for other people in your profession and man managing your business? So here's another life hack for you. If you learn to feel your feelings and not get freaked out by them when they come, you don't have to recharge as much. So I don't hmm. like, I do recharge and I love going to silent. I love Zen Buddha silent retreats. They're like my jam mm -hmm. because you go there for up to 10 days. No one talks. The food's fabulous. It's amazing. You meditate. It's great. But also I do that maybe like once a year or once every other year. I don't need a lot or maybe a half a day a week. I will watch TikTok videos and be like, no one talked to me. Yeah. Um, but what I have found to be, uh, helpful in my resilience is just when you have a feeling let the feeling happen and let it pass through is this you. where your forwardness comes from yeah i guess <laughs> i guess but it letting things happen when they happen yeah letting just being in the moment not panicking letting it happen and it really saves you the need from having to recharge as much yeah and i guess not having as much pent up from focusing so much on self-care and, and work kind of gives you that ability to let it flow through and not compound Yes. That makes sense. Okay. Absolutely. So we still have, we get, we got a few more things to talk about. I'm sorry. We got to keep going. Okay, but, um, right. so I want to talk about, uh, any other businesses that you've worked with, you know, in your journey from, let's just say 2012 to now, since those are the businesses you're most active in, uh, like what, who, who are you connected? I know you, you're working with someone in marketing, like who are you working with? Well, are you talking about what kind of clients do I have? Um, not necessarily clients, but just oh. like businesses. Um, like I know you have someone that you work with for marketing, for instance. There are other businesses in Memphis that you work with and people that you connect with to help make your business possible. Yes. So shout outs, basically. Okay. Yes. <laughs> business shout outs. Yes. All right. My um, marketing chick, Lindsay Massey, is amazing. She's great. I, Massey I Marketing awesome. helps me a ton. Um, also I'm using, uh, station eight. You guys have been hey. great. Hey, oh. And, uh, I have a videographer, Michael Perry, that's been following me around doing all sorts of things, trying to get, you know, just content and footage. Um, but the crew that we have in office is amazing. Like the, our forward counseling crew is amazing. We are a female run corporation. Mm -hmm. It is all females in charge and we do a great job. And I worked for Paul Mitchell and it was the uh -huh. same situation and it was great. I yeah. learned so much. I, I totally get it. It's, it's awesome. That's an awesome dynamic to create and grow and make better. Good yes. for you guys. Thanks. Or good for you girls. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's been wonderful. So speaking of clients, what you seem like maybe you have something to say, what, what type of clients are you working with? You think, I mean, is it mostly, I guess it has to be state, even if it's, uh, done visually or so for mental health yes we i can only work in those states i'm licensed so okay. tennessee is where i work with mental health clients i don't take on that many mental health clients these days i work with people who are more in acute crisis to stabilize them maybe one or two times but i don't have ongoing clients because i can't commit to them like i would like to mm -hmm. the business clients that i work with are across the whole u.s and those are typically businesses that are they're similar values as us. They're wellness companies, pretty much. Health, mm -hmm. wellness. So it's like gyms, counseling centers, medical device, um, small uh, psychiatric hospitals, um, mindfulness centers. You know, it's businesses that are doing good for the world. Like, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't work with clients who own pawn shops or liquor stores. You know, right. like, I'm sure there's someone that can business coach them. It's just not me. We work more on, uh, and I also prefer working with um, companies that are value-based, you know, it's kind of boring to work with a company that's just trying to 
make a product to fit a need. Yeah. I like doing the whole company culture thing. Well, there's the objective reality of running a business, but you also have to have, you know, that energy and emotional understanding too. I think to have something that's truly sustainable, Mm -hmm. you know, because people are people, they have feelings and emotions. They're not all just objective analysis and processes. Yes. So maybe for some businesses that works, but people are probably very rarely happy. (laughs) But, um, so how can clients, uh, connect with, you know, your, your business, how can they find you? And, and, um, how could they maybe like get to know your counselors? Like, is there an avenue for them to go down to understand forward counseling? Yeah, sure. We have a website It's forwardcounseling.com. Okay. And then you can sit with us also has a website. You can sit with us.info and you can see our, see the therapist on the forward counseling page. You can read their bio. We're working on making little videos for them. They're not up yet. Um, you can also call or text our front desk. We have three amazing front desk staff that work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And they're happy to talk to you. And, and you know, if you want to talk about what's going on with you and they can help point you in the right direction of which therapist specializes in that, we can do that too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. So now we get to go to the fun stuff. Can, okay. we, can we jump right in? Yep. I want to talk about, you mentioned it at the beginning, but now we're going full circle. Let's talk about the Memphis Mushroom Festival. So what are you doing with the Memphis Mushroom Festival? What year are we in? What's going on? Okay, so Memphis Mushroom Festival, this is its second year. This year will be the second year. It's going to be October 21st through 24th at Meme and Shelby Forest. And it is a camp-style transformative festival. It's kind of like a mix between a farmer's market and a music festival. So we'll have music. We'll have experiential uh, educational programming we'll have lectures we'll have things for you to eat and so you say you have some incredible chefs coming out that are going to be involved using the product yes we'll have an outdoor kitchen set up and we will have chefs coming to cooking dishes that are based on wild forage mushrooms that you can sample you can watch them you can get recipes Yes, it's going to be wonderful. So, culinary uh, experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yep. not just that. You're you're having a mushroom festival in the Mid-South. Yes. So how what, what type of feedback have you gotten from the community at large and the people that want to be involved from doing such a thing in the South? Well, we've actually had mixed reviews. Luckily for us, uh, Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan have been talking a lot about psychedelics in the use of mental health treatment. And so there are a lot of people around here who listen to those podcasts. So from the young professional community, they're stoked. They're like, whoa, this is cool. We have this here. Like, this is going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, The older Memphis crowd, so um, a lot of the people who may serve on boards have expressed concern. We did have a lecture topic last year of what's the difference between nudism and swinging. (laughs) They didn't appreciate that a bit. Um, but we will continue to have our programming that is open-minded and, uh, also everyone was clothed during the talk. So there was no nudity. It was just talk about it. But, um, it's, we've had mixed reviews mixed. Um, and you're still going full steam ahead no matter what. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. That's what I love to hear. So can you tell me about, uh, there's obviously, there's so many variables and there's a lot of like really incredible, very straightforward, very, you know, objectively true things about mushrooms and all the benefits that they provide and things that are worth highlighting and encapsulating with this festival and the food as a part of it and just ways to use them and be healthier. But there is the psychedelic aspect as well. 
mm-hmm. which is a big a big piece and probably would you say maybe the most controversial of of the whole situation? Yes, yeah, so actually Mushroom Festival has taken a position that we support plant medicine and we support people's rights to uh, use plant medicine and that does include psychedelic medication, marijuana. Last year we had a nurse <clears throat> We had a nurse who's in training to be a nurse practitioner. She is actually a cannabis nurse. She also leads retreat centers in Brazil and Costa Rica. She leads retreats at a center in Brazil and Costa Rica Mm -hmm. where she uses plant medicine, ayahuasca, marijuana, psilocybin with clients to help them have breakthroughs. So she was a speaker last year. Um, This year we will have other speakers. We'll have professors. We'll have people doing research. We will have... um, so now there's a few names of people that you have coming out to represent kind of the the objective analysis and research behind using plant medicines and psychedelics and marijuana and things to kind of mm-hmm. you know use them as treatment. What are what are some of the people that you're the credentialed people that you're well, working with? I don't know if I can they they have verbally committed, but until okay. I get a little more, I don't know. But we're working yeah. on getting people who are pioneers in the area of psychedelic research. So people from MAPS, people from Purdue, people from um, University of Alabama at Auburndale. I mean, yeah, is that what it I'm sorry, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, we are trying to get some of the professors to come speak about the research that they've been doing. We also uh, have reached out to Johns Hopkins, but they haven't reached back out. Sure. They have an incredible psychedelic research program now, well-funded and everything. Mm -hmm. So So would it be fair to say that you're a proponent of psychedelic therapy? Absolutely. So what, what kind of, what, what has allowed you to conclude is that being true, something that you support? Like what, what was the the piece of information or studies or experiences that kind of made that like, all right, I believe this is it. Well, as a clinician, uh, the research for one stands out. The research and, and by psychedelic medicine, that's an umbrella term. There's a lot of different medications under that umbrella that do different things for different um, diagnoses. So as a whole, though, I'm just going to as a whole, what we're seeing is um, these medications are twice as effective for things that we have really kind of been at a loss for solving. And that, to me, is amazing, which is why they uh, some of the research for different um, psychedelics has been granted breakthrough, stat- <coughs> breakthrough status. Even though the substance is illegal, um, because of the preliminary results being so amazing, the research is open. So you're seeing research that has been halted because of the drug war, um, Research has been halted since the 60s and is now starting back. Uh, there's across Canada and United States, Switzerland, I believe, there are research studies going on right now. And with that evidence, the goal is that that evidence will be used to remove these medications from their current schedule, which will allow them mm. to be used in for medical purposes. And we've seen it with ketamine. Well, ketamine is – ketamine, not exactly because it's not uh, – I don't think it has the same schedule, but ketamine is now being used in offices. It's legal. It's approved. It's uh, I think it's an off-label use, but so insurance doesn't pay for it. But it is showing amazing results with depression, um, with people who have chronic suicidal ideation. It's it's been amazing. Wow! And so is is that is that a newer frontier ketamine, or is it something? I guess I guess when I when I think of research that I've read about. Uh, these 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 medicines, ketamine is not one that I commonly find. Ketam- so ketamine's been around for a while and it's been legal for a while. It's mm-hmm. been used as a sedative. 
And uh, somehow they figured out that in a much lower dose, in the sedative dose puts you to sleep. Mm -hmm. you, frequently you'll get it at, a, at the oral surgeon's office. It's what they use to put people to sleep for dental work. Um, it, they also use it in veterinary offices. I believe it's used to tranquilize, to sedate large animals. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's been in use. It's safe. It uh, doesn't decrease your respiration heart rate while you're on it. So it's it's one of the better tranquilizers for that reason. Mm -hmm. And they figured out that in a very low dose, it lifts depression. So the wow. what they're doing for people is there's two modalities. There's two ways to get it right now. One's through IV. So it's a IV bag with a very diluted dose of ketamine that you take intravenously. And it takes, you know, you're kind of loopy for the day. It takes you all day really to, to you go just, through the treatment. Yeah, to go mm -hmm. through the treatment. And then um, you do it again a few weeks later, and then you do monthly maintenance. So that's ketamine. Or you can do a nasal spray. They now have a nasal spray. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it is showing amazing results. Amazing results. And it's, But it is a little expensive. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, I think the nasal spray is 600, something like that. And then the, the IV is similar. So. so it sounds like there's two things happening for the industry and, and psychedelics as medicine and just all those things. You have a little bit of like Pascal's wager of like, why not? Because nothing else is really working. But then there's also, there's some objective reality to the fact that this is actually helping people. Yes. So as far as going back to mushroom festival, when we talk about psilocybin and, and psychedelic mushrooms, what's, what's going on there um, that is, I guess, showing um, improvements and help to people you know, as a treatment? Okay. So psilocybin is being used in a number of different applications. There's current research um, looking at it as an antidepressant, looking at it as a weight loss aid, looking at it for treatment of OCD, looking at it for treatment of cocaine addiction, looking at um, use for uh, nicotine addiction, mm -hmm. um, and all of those are current studies that that are going on with psilocybin, and they're actually using um, heroic doses, so a large dose. Uh, it's in office, safe setting. You know, listen to music, chill out, relax. Uh, but it's giving people. Oh, it's also being used um, to resolve death anxiety. Hmm, which so, we talked about. Mm -hmm, yep. People who have been diagnosed with terminal cancer, there's a study right now, well, it's been ongoing, um, that they can sign up to um, have three heroic doses and to try to deal with their death anxiety. Hmm. So, And the, the heroic doses, they're typically spread out over like, what, like two or three months maybe between each one. And these are pretty pretty large doses, but in a controlled setting. Yeah. So safe, in other words. Yep. That's so, important for under, to understand, I think, for yes. people here you know, in the South that might be you know, transitioning into the reality of like, hey, this could actually be used to help me. Yeah. And if you think it could be used to help you, um, they are taking uh, participants for the clinical trials. So you can look up a study and see if they're accepting people. They also, there are resorts in other countries where this is completely safe and legal. So um, Costa Rica is a country that allows people to use psychedelics. Um, and there's a, a rhythmia, there's a resort called Rhythmia that allows people to take these substances at the resort. Um, there's also, you know, people can find these medicines through different religious groups mm -hmm. um, throughout the world that they've typically been used as part of spiritual practices. So that's another option. Bit of an immunity want. then, because it was, you know, relative to their spiritual truth. Yes. Okay. So can I ask about the Memphis Psychedelic Society? Yeah, sure. 
Tell me about it. What's going on? Okay, so um, me and some friends started Memphis Psychedelic Society to help educate people in Memphis about psychedelic medicine and to uh, share the research about it. Uh, Because this is the sort of thing that people... This isn't like Tylenol. It's not going to be passed out. It's not going to be over the counter. If you want it, it's going to be rare. It's going to be expensive, and it's going to be hard to find. So the best... The best thing to do, in my opinion, is get the information out to the public and have help those people advocate to get this treatment for themselves. So that's what we're working with now is, you know, just getting this information out to the public and helping people who want to have these treatments find it. And uh, there's also some cities in America that have decriminalized this. And soon um, you will see treatment centers in, mm-hmm. in America, uh, Denver, Denver and Portland, Oregon, and... Um, city in California have all decriminalized certain psychedelics. So Mm -hmm. I think we're going to start to be able to see treatment centers here. Um, But right now you can also go to Canada. Canada is a lot more open with, with these things. Sure. Is that something you're excited about? Yeah. I'm super excited about it. That's awesome. Yep. So going back to Memphis mushroom festival, um, how, this, this, that's a lot of things that are covered in, in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not all psychedelics, but obviously that's kind of the more, you know, interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but how could people get involved with the Memphis Mushroom Festival? Because honestly, I think we're going to have to talk about this again. We're going to have to have a whole other podcast and sit down and just talk about just the Mushroom Festival and all the things that are happening. So coming out soon, right? We'll work yeah. on that. But um, how can people get involved in the meantime if they hear this and they want to learn more about it or participate or maybe even sponsor it or be involved? So we have a website. It's okay. memphismushroomfest.com. We also have a Facebook page. Memphis has been super supportive. Our um, Facebook page is really active and awesome. You're welcome to check that out. Uh, you can also, through the website, contact us. I believe there's a volunteer link and stuff already set up. Our ticket link will be awesome. out soon. But people Great. are welcome to reach out, and we've got someone in charge of emails now so that they'll get an email back. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you do uh, monthly education, too, yeah? Yep. We do monthly mycology classes at the Valentine Evergreen Green Line in Midtown. Okay. So and where do we find those? Those are also on Facebook. They're okay. through our Facebook page. We have an event called Monthly Mycology Class, and each month we focus on two um different mushrooms that are growing in season that after class you can go forage and try to hunt and find yourself. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. So what are the plans for 2021 personally, professionally and beyond? What what do you have coming up? Any big plans this year? Yeah. So this year I'm hoping to buy a house in Puerto Rico so that I can reduce my tax burden. (laughs) Super exciting. (laughs) You're talking about that. You get a little bit of a tax break. You can't vote. Yep. I don't care. The tax corporate taxes, I think, are four or five percent. Yeah. And I'm currently at thirty-five percent. Yeah, a little so. bit of a difference there. Yeah. Huge difference. That's awesome. So last question then. What is the best thing about being in Memphis and doing all that you've done and all that you plan to do? This is about Memphis and Memphis entrepreneurs and people that have made something of themselves in Memphis. You know, what how has the city contributed and influenced you along the way? So one thing about the city that I love is we have um, we have soul and grit, and that's true. And both of those things inspire and motivate me every day. Uh, I live in Midtown. I, I do not purposely live in a gated neighborhood where everything's fabulous. I work in areas that remind me why I do the work I do. Mm-hmm. I um, eat at restaurants that offer the best food you've ever had in your life, you know, and it's like some family-owned thing. We have in Memphis um, – 
I think we have like a level playing field. Like anybody can make it. it the cost of living is low. There's enough people. It, between social media and and Memphis being what it is with the low cost of living and everything, um, I think it's a great seedbed for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. I mean, you can you can live, you can live cheap, and you can start a business and get on social media and connect with really cool people. Uh, I love that about modern life. The the gatekeepers that used to be there are not there through social media. You just you put a product out, you put your business out, and you have as much of a shot as the millionaire next door. So I think that's really cool. Right. And social media, is there a way that people that might be interested in talking to you or connecting with you on, on a level, is there a way that they could find you out there in the world? Or LinkedIn, is that the best way? What, what's the best way to get to you? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, and your yeah. name, Jessica Shea? Jessica Shea, yes. Uh, also, just... Can you put the email? Can you yeah. put my email? On Absolutely. The part? Okay, yeah. We'll have all the websites that. that you mentioned for all your businesses okay. and all the okay, info will awesome. be right below. Yeah. Yep. That's how they can talk to me. Great. Thank we'll cover you. it for sure. Well, listen, I want to thank you, Jessica, for your time and coming out and sitting here. I know you're busy because you have 10 hours a day booked every day, <laughs> but you. I really am grateful for the two hours that you booked for us. I find you to be an incredible inspiration, and I think that the work that you do is incredibly yes. important on many levels and in the individuals that you work with. But more importantly, I think that the region as a whole and the message that you're sending and what you're trying to promote is essential for progress and just understanding and forward momentum in this city. And you are exactly what the series is about. And that is highlighting people that make Memphis great. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, If you want to check out any of our other content, you can visit our website at station8productions.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash station8productions. Thanks.